Feel the Holy Ghost in this house today. Whatever you come, whatever need, God is here to do the work. Luke chapter 18, we begin our reading in verse 31. Then he took unto him, referring to the Lord, the twelve, his innermost circle of disciples, and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, spitefully entreated, and spitted on. They shall scourge him, and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. And they understood none of these things, and this saying was hid from them, neither knew they the things which were spoken. It came to pass that as he was come nigh into Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. Like to speak this morning on this subject, the cry from the wayside. The cry from the wayside. Would you pray with me, Lord? We're thankful to be in your house today. Thankful for your presence. Thankful for your word. Thankful for your people. We ask now, Lord, as we open up our hearts and minds, that your word would go forth, fall on good ground, that it would change us from the inside out. I pray for that anointing, that unction that we felt. As we were singing the wonderful praises unto you, that it would penetrate our minds and spirits through the preaching of your word. We recognize we're only messengers, but your word is powerful. Cutting to the dividing and sunder of soul and spirit. Let it penetrate every wall, every barrier, and let it find good ground in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. The Bible describes this scene that as Jesus and his 12 disciples are making their way down from Galilee to Jerusalem for the Passover. Of course, this Passover would be unlike any they had ever experienced. It was not unusual for them to go to Jerusalem for the Passover. It was time of celebration. Uh, Jesus is, is giving them parables as they go down. He's teaching. They're walking down toward that eastern side. They would walk down along where this... Um, uh, sea of Galilee dumped into Jordan River and then came south into the Dead Sea. That area was flat. It wasn't mountainous. And so they would come uh, down that way as they came from the north, the Galilee region, into the, more of the southern or the central area where Jerusalem was. And he is uh, preparing them for the upcoming Passover. He is saying that Jesus himself would be taken as a prisoner and he would be charged as a common criminal. He would be scourged. He would be spit upon. And um, that he would eventually be put to death by crucifixion, but do not worry, do not fret, three days will rise again. The disciples either did not believe this would happen right then, maybe they thought he was speaking metaphorically about some event in the future, maybe they were in denial, I'm not sure what all their thought process was, only that the Bible makes it clear that they did not believe his words. They did not see what he was saying as something that was imminent, something that was upon them, something that was a foregone conclusion they simply did not receive it and so as they turn now and make their way toward jerusalem the city of jericho is right there on those western banks of the jordan river just as the children of israel when they came over jordan that was the first city they came upon and of course the mighty miracle that we read about as they had wandered in the wilderness come over jordan and now the walls of jericho come down jericho was 
an important city. It was a city that was, at that time, a metropolitan area. It was that city that you would go through as you were making your way into Jerusalem. Now the disciples and Jesus get close to Jericho, and they're on the outskirts getting ready to go into Jericho as they are making their way to Jerusalem. Jericho has a man that is sitting on the wayside who is a blind man. He has been relegated to a back street, a place off of the beaten path for his panhandling activities. If you have to derive your living off of the mercy of others, you do not want to be out of the way. You do not want to be on the side of the way. You want to be front and center, much like we see now when people collect money for nonprofit groups, they get where there's an intersection, where there's traffic, because you're not going to do very well panhandling if you're standing off on a dirt road somewhere in southwest Palm Bay where you see one car a day. It's not going to go well for you. You need to be where it is public. And so this man, not unlike that, no doubt would have preferred to be on the main street. But maybe they were trying to clean the area up. Maybe they were had heard that Jesus and his disciples were coming to town. Whatever, they put him on the wayside. A place where uh, people can't see you and, and maybe... You won't be offended by uh, his, his, his necessity of having to ask for help to survive. He couldn't make a living like anyone else. He was blind. So they put him on the side. But this man had some strength of spirit. He was not to be deterred. If you can't see, then maybe you have to increase your ability to use your other senses. And so he would listen and he could pick up conversations and he could tell when people were talking, their excited tones, their voice, the, the cadence, the pace, it picked up. There was excitement in the air. Something was happening. He leaned into it and listened what he could from the wayside. And it sounded like they were talking about this man by the name of Jesus was coming through town from Galilee. And, and maybe he would come by my area. No, he's not going to come this way. This is way over on the, off the beaten path. But but maybe if I cried out, and so as they could hear the, the people getting closer and they could tell that Jesus was there, uh, this blind man uh, began to cry out as loud as he could, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. He cried out so loud it startled people around him. He went and got the city officials and said, this guy we put on the wayside, he's now louder than we've ever heard him before. He's crying out and we need you to come over there and shush him and tell him that he's going to have to be quiet or he's going to lose his begging permit. So they, they got all the city officials over there and told him he had to keep quiet. They said, don't you know you're going to be in big trouble, blind man? You better hush up. Keep quiet. But the Bible said he cried out that much the more. I love that kind of hunger. I'm going to tell you what, if you get really hungry for God, you won't care about political correctness. You won't care about what your neighbor thinks. You won't care about protocol. COVID, no COVID. All you care is I got to have a touch from God. I've got to have his spirit on my life. You don't care if your relatives are against it, if your husband's against it, if your wife's against it, if your children's against it, if your neighbor's against it, if everybody in your homeowners association is against it. All you know is, I need a touch from Jesus. How many of you can remember when you cried out? Jesus, have mercy on me. He gets even louder. And they tell him to be quiet and he gets even louder if they tell him to be quiet. You talk about civil disobedience. He cried out that much the more. Jesus stops and calls him and a mighty miracle is done. He brings him up to, who is that man? Bring him over here. Prays for him. Of course, he's healed and this man begins to worship. And it left such, such an impression on those disciples that were with Jesus that several of them write about it in their gospels. 
But it was almost as if Jesus was giving them a little object lesson. A message that would come from the wayside is an important message. Maybe he was trying to prepare them for what they were fixing to encounter as they got into Jerusalem and they go through the Passover and then the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus and and the resurrection. Maybe Jesus was trying to prepare them. Do not ignore the cries from the wayside because there's a miracle on the wayside. How many of you are glad that the Lord found you on the wayside? You say, oh, preacher, I wasn't born into this. But God found me on the wayside. I didn't have any kind of entitlement to the presence of God and the power of God. I I wasn't born speaking in tongues like John the Baptist. I, I, I had to find my way through alcohol. I had to find my way through drugs. I had to find my way through whatever the addiction of the flesh was. But you said, God found me because I cried out from the wayside. I didn't know what church to go to. I didn't know who had the truth. I didn't know what my parents had taught. I wasn't even sure what, what was taught. Sunday school was the truth. But I found a God that made a way for me where there appeared to be no way. And He found me on the wayside. Jesus was trying to tell His followers, don't ignore the cry from the wayside. There's a miracle on the wayside. The first person that Jesus appeared to after His resurrection was Mary Magdalene. Not the twelve, which at that point had become the eleven after Judas had betrayed him. No, it was Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene. She was called that because she was from the little village of Magdala, which is not far from Capernaum up in the Galilee area. It was not uncommon at that time for you to be referred to as your first name, the name that was given to you at birth, and then where you were from, Mary from Magdala. That became Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was not in good shape when Jesus found her. She was possessed with seven devils. Now, it's enough to be possessed with one devil. It's going to give you a bad day and a bad life. Two devils, you in big trouble. If you got seven devils, you are hopeless. Except for Jesus. (laughs) Pharisees couldn't do nothing with her. The Sanhedrin couldn't do nothing with her. The priest couldn't do nothing with her. Nobody could do anything about it. Except Jesus. I'm glad the Bible says greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. I don't know what your background may be, but I've come to tell you Jesus is bigger than your biggest problem. Jesus is bigger than your biggest obstacle. You say, but oh, pastor, you don't know. My daddy was this. My granddaddy was that. My great. I come from a long line of sinners. Well, guess what? I've got a God that's bigger. Hallelujah. And he's got more power. And when society doesn't know what to do with you, Jesus says, I can help you. I can deliver you. I can save you. He delivered her and she became a worshiper of Jesus. And she worshiped. The Lord with such gratitude and appreciation that sometimes even the 12 disciples were uncomfortable with it. They really didn't fully accept her in the inner circle, but Jesus did. I said, but Jesus did. Jesus accepted people when nobody else accepted her. He accepted. He said, we're going to Samaria. All the Jews had walked way around Samaria. He said, we go right to the middle, go right up to the well. That's the center of the city, the well. And that's where he met the lady. And he said, I know she's talking about all theology about this and that, worshiping that mountain and your mountain and that. He said, I know you've had 501. You got now is not your own husband. So don't come up in here acting all spiritual with me. You ain't got to prove yourself to me. All you got to do is be hungry. 
She said, I perceive that you're a prophet. You think? You, there's nothing you can do in your humanity that's going to impress God. You can't come up here and tell God, well, you ought to save me. I know Hebrew. I know Greek. I don't mean nothing to God. I'm going to tell you what God responds to. Hunger. I just need help, God. That's what God responds to. Somebody there to say, Lord, I don't understand it all, but bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that in me. I don't have any goodness. There's no righteousness in these filthy rags of flesh, but oh God, I desire you. He will move heaven and earth to find a man or a woman that is hungry for him. And Jesus did too. He, he delivered her and she became a worshiper. And it's clear from more than one gospel that she was the first one Jesus appeared to. She was the one that had the message that Jesus was alive. Not just that the tomb was empty, but I've seen him. He's alive. She had to go and find the 11. I won't tell you good boy something. Jesus is alive. I know he is, Mary. I feel him in my heart too. No, he's alive, alive. I have seen him. You have, haven't you? God bless you, Sister Mary. You've been out in the sun. Let's get you something to drink. I mean, they weren't even sure whether or not to believe her report. I mean, she could be so passionate and dramatic. You know, really, she didn't have a whole lot of credibility. Maybe some of the disciples thought one of them devils had come back. We know, Mary. God bless you. We love you. We're going to pray for you. Sit down. And then there were two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They weren't part of the 11 either, but they were disciples. And they have an encounter with the Lord. He just shows them, walks along with them for a while, and even goes and eats one a little bit and reveals who he is. And they're like, oh my goodness, that's Jesus. We've got to go tell. And they go down there and they find him. Can we get find him? Who are the followers of Jesus? Who's the elite, you know, and this and that, and the 11. Where do we find him? How do we get him? They go through all the protocol. Finally, they get an audience with him. They bring him in. They say, how are you gentlemen doing? We're doing great. We got something to tell you. What is it? We've seen Jesus. You have? Yes. Where did you see him? Well, we, we're from Emmaus. Emmaus, Okay. And you saw Jesus in Emmaus? Yeah, but before we got there, we saw him on the road to Emmaus. On the road to Emmaus. Which road is that? It's a, it's a road on the wayside. It's kind of like a shortcut that we take. Is there anybody else that saw him? No, we were just walking down the road and he was there. Okay. Then what happened? Well, we talked a little bit about what had happened in Jerusalem. How do you know that was Jesus? Well, because he wanted to come to our house and eat. Did he eat? Well, not... No, now that I think of it, he didn't really eat. He kind of held the bread, but he didn't actually digest it. But we're pretty sure it was Jesus. How do you know for sure? Well, we were there talking to him, and then he just disappeared. Okay, well, we appreciate it. Thank you very much. Johnny has some nice departing gifts for you. You say, Pastor, you know they believe. How many of you believe when people tell you they've seen Elvis? You weren't expecting that one, I could tell. <laughs> it's just human nature. 
They, they didn't believe. You say, well, how do you know? Because the first time that Jesus appears to them, he doesn't say, oh, I missed you guys. Come in, bring it in. Group hug. I love you guys. That crucifixion was crazy. That's not what he did. The Bible says he upbraided them. Mark 16, 14. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven. Here is now the elite, the eleven, as they sat at meat and upbraided them. Other translations say rebuked them with their unbelief and hardness of heart. Here's why. Because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. He was upset because they didn't believe the cry from the wayside. You didn't believe people because you didn't think they had any credibility. You didn't believe people that told you I was alive. You didn't believe it from Mary Magdalene. You didn't believe my two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Another translation said he rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. It's not always easy to believe a report from the wayside. It's not the mainstream. It's not the official report. Maybe these 11 thought, if Jesus really had arisen, he's going to appear to us first. We're the 11. We're the fishers of men. We're the chosen few. But Jesus doesn't always work the way you think he should work. You're not going to put him in a box. You're not going to be able to contain him in this building. God is God. He fills the universe. He's greater than all of our little issues. He's greater than all of our little prejudices. He's greater than all of our little thoughts and, and comprehension. His ways are higher than our ways. He is the mighty God in Christ. And I've come to tell you, He can use anybody. He'll use somebody that you don't approve of. But He's God and He's God all by Himself. And I've come to tell you, I'm so glad that he responds to a cry from the wayside. It doesn't matter what your pedigree is. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter if everybody else has said you are a loser. If God says you're a winner, you're a winner. Woo! Hallelujah! When I was, a couple years ago when I was helping... uh, Brother Joel Urshan and the church in Cincinnati get approval for their building. They're building a new $9 million sanctuary up on the interstate there in Cincinnati. And they had run into a lot of organized resistance from neighbors and city officials and, and, uh, big, uh, high fluting attorneys and all this up in that area. They, it had, it had all come down to a hearing that we would have at the planning commission's facility, but it was too small. I had gone up. Brother Urshan said, I don't know what to do. It's become so hostile. And, uh, he said, I had one friend on the on the uh, the planning commission that said you need to have somebody come in and be an advocate for you, and he said you're the only one I could think of. So, would you come? So I did. I went up, met with the city attorney. We met in in, in smaller settings. With anyhow, we finally got it all set up to where there was going to be a vote by this planning commission and uh, six members on that panel. They would vote on whether or not the church could build uh, this bigger building on the interstate and the land they had bought and the. Um, all the architectural drawings, everything that had been submitted, permits, the, they had made several adjustments as had been recommended. And they had done everything that they could do. It was basically boiled down to now they had to have a vote. And so the both sides were going to come together and present their argument. And the little planning commission's office was too small, so they decided to have it at the high school auditorium. And it came down to like, I think it was like a Monday night. And 
I asked Brother Urshan, I said, is there a way we can get all the people from the church to come out? And he said, well, I, I hadn't really had them come out to the prior meetings because he said the prior meetings had had so much opposition. The opposition had been so vocal, I wasn't certain if putting people from the church in that environment would be beneficial. I said, open it up to everybody. People are fighting battles everywhere. People are, if you're going to live righteously in this world, you're going to have opposition. You got opposition in your schools, you got opposition in your family, you got opposition on your jobs, you got opposition. If you say, I'm a child of God, you're going to have opposition. We can't raise people in an incubator. It's the world we live in. But guess what? That's what makes us even stronger. Resistance makes you stronger. So he said, okay, so we opened it up and I wanted the board to see all these people that had been changed because of the work of this church. And so... We opened it up and all the church, yeah, they all come down there and everybody, we all come, hundreds of people, we all come down to this high school auditorium and, and all the experts, you know, they got to speak first and people on their side and our side and I spoke and the architect spoke and the pastor spoke and, and the other attorneys on the other side spoke and the people from the traffic division talked about how it was going to be a traffic jam. Everybody had their say in it and it, it had started at seven and it got to be like eight and then it got to be like nine and, and everybody had spoken, everybody had done their part and then the council looked out and they saw all of these people. And they said, now, everybody that's here, uh, we want to give everybody a chance to speak. But there's so many people, we're going to give everybody three minutes to speak. So everybody got three minutes, and people in the church got up and started speaking. And they started sharing about how the Lord had changed their life when they came to church. And, you know, I was contemplating suicide, but I came to this Tree of Life church, and I found a family of believers, and God's Spirit came upon me. I'm going to tell you what, you could start to feel the Holy Ghost in that room. It became like a revival in that high school auditorium. And people started sharing and said, this had happened to me and I was sick and that and I was addicted to drugs. All these different people started sharing testimony. And I started watching. It got to be 10, 10, 30, quarter to 11. And the opposition all got up and started walking out. Because you can't deny the presence and the power of God. <laughs> all the experts were leaving. We were here now from the wayside. And there ain't nothing more powerful than the testimony of an outsider on the wayside that just said, once I was blind, but now I see. I don't know all the legal ramifications. I don't know all the procedure. Here's what I can tell you. I used to be a mess. But God saved me, and now I'm in my right mind. Boy, and as the night went on, I could see their hearts and faces, those council members. I could see them change. I thought, oh, this is going to be good. And everything was going great until one sister got up somewhere around the 11 o'clock hour. And when this sister got up to the microphone, I could see Pastor Urshan getting nervous, <laughs> tightened up, and the elders of the church holding their breath. And this lady began to preach to that board. She said, who do you think you are sitting in judgment of the house of God? Thinking you can stop the kingdom of God from growing because of a little position that you have on the board. I was sitting next to Brother Urshan. He said, Jesus, help us. Jesus. Jesus, help us, Lord. Jesus, help us, Lord. He was trying to just get through it the best he could. There was a rail in front of us. He was holding on to that rail. 
He was trying to get through it, and he was doing good until she said, I want to tell you something right now, board members. She said, I am a child of God. I've been baptized with the Holy Ghost, and I speak in tongues under the evidence of the power of God. She said, but it's more than that. She said, right now I can call upon my God, and he will put a curse on you and your families, and I dare you to try to live your life under the heavy hand of the judgment of God. When she said that, Pastor Urshan, before I could grab him, he slid under the rail. Okay, all right, okay. And he made his way over and some of the elders come over and they got her right. Okay, sister, we appreciate that. Thank you so they made <laughs> they They took her over and sat her down, you know, and... I could see the council members. They were all blinking like that real big. And they were looking all around. And everybody was trying to figure out how to get through this. Somewhere around the midnight hour, they said, we got to vote. Yeah, well, we had been there five hours. And when the vote came through, five to one, they voted in favor of the church. And just a couple of weeks ago, they broke ground on that building. They're going to build a beautiful building. But after, after that meeting was over, the man that had led the opposition... The one who had organized and gotten the attorneys involved and gotten, gone around to people's houses and gotten stuff from neighbors and all that. He came over to me and he said, hey, he said, I hope that lady that spoke doesn't call down judgment on us. He said, I'm going to tell you something right now. He said, I am for the church. She changed my mind tonight. He said, I'm going to help the church any way that I can. He said, whatever it takes. He said, I'll go out there and park cars if I have to. But he said, I don't want that lady bringing judgment down on top of me and my family. I thought everybody just thought she was crazy. One of the council members came over to me and he said, uh, you don't think she'll really call down judgment on us, do you? I, I said, I don't know. I... He said, can you make sure to tell her which way I voted? I said, yes, sir. I, I certainly will. Hey. I'm going to tell you something. It's time we get radical about who we believe in. His name is Jesus. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. There's nothing more powerful than a man or a woman that will say, I used to be a sinner. I used to be blind. I used to be lost. I used to be addicted to sin. But God saved me. And I'm in my right mind. And I'm in love with Jesus. I feel a cry from the wayside. I feel a praise from the wayside. Mm. God will use the most unlikely of sources to reveal his mighty hand of power. John chapter 9 on the Sabbath day, Jesus healed a man who the Bible said was born blind. He spit in the earth. And made mud balls and put them in the guy's eye socket. Well, I never thought that's so unclean. Bad enough that he did it on the Sabbath. Then we hear that he used mud balls. Told that man to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Somebody go find him. The Sanhedrin. That was like the Jewish Supreme Court of the day. Go find that man. They get an arrest warrant out. They go find him, bring him in. Who healed you? Uh, Jesus. He said his name was Jesus. You know Jesus is a sinner. Okay. Jesus is a sinner. 
He healed you on the Sabbath day. Okay. You're dismissed. We're going to call your parents. Okay. He leaves. They bring in the mom and dad. The Bible says the mom and dad are afraid of the Jewish council. Do you know that your boy got healed? Do you know he was healed on the Sabbath day by this Jesus? You know he's a heretic. You know he's a sinner. He's running around here now looking and seeing like the rest of us. Who does he think he is? And you're his parents. You should know better. Didn't you raise him right? The mom and dad are afraid. They have a great response. Their response is simply, you know, he's of age. He's an adult. Just call him. You know, we're trying to retire. We're trying to move to Florida. Leave us alone, will you? <laughs> We've already got a deposit on in an over 55 community, so he's an adult. All right, you're dismissed. They call him back. Hey, blind man, come here. Yes, sir. Do you know that you were healed by a sinner? Okay. And he was healed, and you were healed on the Sabbath? Yes, sir. And you know that you're supposed to give praise to God, not to a sinner? Yes, sir. What do you have to say for yourself? Here's all I can tell you guys. Once I was blind, but now I see. You guys figure out the theology. You guys figure out the laws. You guys figure out who did it and when it happened and how it was supposed to come down and who's in violation of what ordinance. I can't help you with all that. Here's all I can tell you. I used to be like this and now I'm like that. I used to be blind, but now I see. I used to stumble through life, but now I walk with my head held high and everything is clear. <laughs> I've come to tell somebody, the enemy keeps trying to talk you out, trying to tell you you can't teach a Bible study because you don't know Hebrew and Greek. You can't teach because you don't have a minister. You don't have to have a minister's life. You don't have to know Hebrew and Greek. All you got to do is have a testimony. I once was blind, but now I see. I used to be a mess, but God delivered me and God saved me. Hallelujah. And now I'm in my right mind. I see things clearly. I used to hate going to church. Now I love it. I used to condemn and damn the name of Jesus, but now I worship it and praise it. The name of Jesus. You don't have to have it all figured out. All you got to do is have an experience with God. I used to be sick and now I'm not. I used to be told there was no hope for me, but Jesus saved me. And now I'm going to bless the Lord all my soul. You may think my worship is extravagant, but you don't know where I came from. You don't know what God did for me. How come you go to church so much down there at East Wind? How come you pay 10% of your income on time? You don't know like I know what he's done for me. I used to be sick. I was told there was no help. I was told there was no cure. But here I am. So I want to lift up my voice and magnify God. I used to be addicted to drugs or alcohol or pornography or whatever. But here I am now. And my eyes are set on Jesus. 
I used to be blind, but now I see. And the lame man was healed in Acts 3. They called the disciples in before the council. Here we go again. The council perceived that Peter and John were unlearned and uneducated. But the Bible said they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, that's all you need right there. If they got to put some on your tombstone, he walked with Jesus. Woo! These guys are uncouth, unlearned, uneducated. But we can tell they have been with Jesus. So they asked Gamaliel, he was a wise man that was a part of that Sanhedrin. What are you going to do? He said, look, you guys, these people are of God. You don't want to be in a position of fighting against God. And if they're not of God, it'll come to naught. It'll fall apart. So just let them be. Warn them, advise them, whatever. That Let them go. They said, all right. So they brought him in and they told him, you can't do this, you can't do that. You can't go around preaching, teaching Jesus. They thought it was all over after they crucified Jesus. It was just starting. 2,000 years later. They think churches have gone out of business because of COVID. I got news for you. We just getting started. This thing ain't wrapping up. This thing's getting bigger and better and stronger. I wish I could tell you what's happening right now. As we're meeting with some people, God has brought together some incredible people. And we're going to begin doing something that's going to absolutely change the world, in my opinion. We are putting together evangelism teams. We're going to begin training people here at this church three times a year. And we are putting together evangelism teams that are going to consist of a, a hundred crusades every year overseas. And a hundred crusades like we had here at Bayside High Stadium all across North America. And we believe that we're going to see a million souls a year be safe. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the hour of the church. I know we used to be on the wayside. I remember as a boy, my dad setting up a tent in Port St. Joe, Florida, and us having to have a tent revival and people coming by and throwing tomatoes and stuff at us. I remember when we were just a cry from the wayside, but God has blessed us. Hallelujah. And the cry from the wayside has brought the power of God upon a group of apostolics that are now part of a Pentecostal movement that is changing the world. But ladies and gentlemen, it's not over yet. I said it's not over yet. We don't know how it's all going to happen. Here's what we do know. Just like Peter and John. We can only preach and teach which we have seen and heard. All we can do, ladies and gentlemen, is tell you what we have seen and heard. God wants to give you a personal experience. There's a cry from the wayside. It's a cry of personal experience. Jesus tried to prepare his disciples for the testimony of an outsider. After they left Jericho, they came to Jerusalem. Now it's only about four days from the crucifixion. Jesus goes into the temple with his disciples. And as he goes into the temple, all four gospels recorded. He drove out the money changers in the temple court and rebuked the religious leaders for making the temple a, a marketplace, a den of thieves, as one of the gospels records. This story, I know, is something that has been under great examination through the years. But recently I received a revelation about this that I share with you now. You see, my friend, the temple was divided into four courts. There was the inner court where only the high priest could go and only once a year. There was the outer court where only the Jewish men could go. And then there was the women's court where only the Jewish women could go. And then there was the Gentiles court 
which was also referred to as Solomon's porch. And the Gentiles' court was where the Gentiles went, men or women. And they went there, and they were, it was further around. You had the inner court, the outer court, the women's court, and then you had the court of the Gentiles. The court of the Gentiles was that that was furthest out there. And for whatever reason, the Jews had made provision for the court of the Gentiles. But it was not anything that they had high regard for. And so as it went through and people had come from different countries and they would come and they would want to go to the temple and they would have to make sacrifice and people didn't have a sacrifice and they couldn't bring an animal that far, it would die. And so anyhow, as things would develop, it became a business for them to have to buy a sacrifice and then for it to be shed there and then the blood and bring it in. Those that didn't want to bring it had to bring it in the inner court. And that was another process. And people couldn't afford a big animal sacrifice so they could buy a pigeon dove. And so made the pigeon doves available. And people came from other countries and they had different kind of monies and they had to transfer the money into Jewish shekels. And so they had to have money changers. And of course, those people took an interest rate when the money was changed over from that to this. And so they had all this. Oh, where are we going to do all this? Well, the Jewish leaders decided that would be done in the Gentiles court. In other words, those people over there don't really matter anyhow. They're Gentiles. I know they got their Gentiles court, but you know, really, they're over there, and they're not really a part of the Jewish temple per se, anyhow. So let's make that the flea market. And so when Jesus ran out the money changers, it wasn't so much that it was just commerce. They had turned the temple into it. What he was, uh, what was most egregious, as it were, is that they had no regard for the Gentiles having a place to worship. And so we're just going to turn that into the mess hall, as it were. We're going to just turn that into the underbelly of all the temple practices. We're going to, we're going to make the court of the Gentiles the place that no one will fully regard, that people just use for conducting business. And Jesus came through there and cleaned that because he's saying, the Gentiles have got a right to the presence of God. So much so that four days later when he gave up the ghost, the big veil that separated the inner court from the outer court was ripped in two supernaturally by the invisible hand of God. You know what Jesus was saying? Everybody's welcome into the inner court. The high priest, the Jewish men, the Jewish women, the Gentile women, the Gentile man. It didn't matter where you were from. It didn't matter your gender. All that mattered was, guess what? It's the inner court and it's available to whosoever will. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't have four different courts at Eastwood. We got one court. It's the court of praise. And everybody that's here is here to give God glory. And there's one common denominator that brings us all together. Once we were blind, but now we see. You may not understand why some people's praise is so extravagant. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know the devils that God has delivered them from. You don't know the price of their alabaster box. You don't know where God brought them from. And they're in the same court. And it's the court of praise. Because it's a praise from the wayside. Is there anybody that's in this house that'll worship God with a praise? From the wayside. Jesus. 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 Now, son of David, have mercy on me.
you feel like you can stand to your feet, if you feel like you're on the outside looking in, you need to know that your Savior will respond to the cry from the wayside. He went to Samaria when everybody else circumvented it. He sent his disciples to the house of a Roman centurion to preach the plan of salvation when the Jews had to send a verification committee because they were so unsure of that trip. He went to the house of sinners and publicans. He called Zacchaeus, the chief publican, the hated man of the city, called him down out of the tree. Zacchaeus, today we're going to your house. Good God Almighty, I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. Some of you don't think you got a place in the kingdom of God, and I feel the Lord telling you, I'm going to your house today. You come to my house, I'm going to your house today. He went out of his way to reach for those who were discouraged. He went out of his way to reach for those that were disenfranchised. He turned Solomon's porch into a place of miracles. Solomon's porch is where the lame man ran after he was healed in Acts chapter 3. Solomon's porch is what remains to this day. On top of the inner court sits a Muslim mosque that is shut down to visitors. But Solomon's porch is in the hand of the masses that come to the Temple Mount area. It doesn't matter where you come from. You can go to Solomon's porch. We went to Solomon's porch and it was there that we began to have a service where we glorify God. I feel like somebody today is going to find out there's a place for you. It's all of its porch. It's a place of the miraculous. It's a place of healing. It's a place of victory. When there's nowhere else to go. There's a God that stands before you with outstretched arms. If you don't feel like you fit, you're in good hands. Just cry out from the wayside. If you don't feel like you belong, just cry out from the wayside. You need a miracle in your life today. Just step out from where you're standing. Come on, make your way down to this altar. Lift up your voice. And begin to cry out from the wayside. He won't turn you away. He'll hear your cry. He'll move heaven and earth. For one single individual that needs a touch. Come on, this is your altar. This is your altar.